0: you open to Isaiah chapter sixty. It's a chapter of uh, hope. I'm going to uh, pray now, and then um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll do some. Re- We're actually going to embed the reading in my talk, so it'll be a little bit shorter as a result. So you'll see. So let's pray. Our loving heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Please help me to speak as speaking the very words of God, and please encourage our hearts mightily. In the great hope that we have, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My father-in-law, uh, when he reads a book, he is an avid reader, he would always turn to the last page. First. Why? Exactly, know the end from the beginning. Is this going to be worth reading? Right? Does God do that for us? He does. He turns every now and then, he gives us, turns us to the back to the last page and says, have a look. And that's what Isaiah 60 is about. Is it important? It is. Do you know, Jesus actually applied the same principle in Hebrews 12, talking about Jesus, the apostle and our great apostle and the one who went before us. It says, for the joy that was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What did he have? What hope did he have? He knew what was on the other side of the cross. He knew what was coming. Who for the joy that was set before him. I didn't have that written down here by the way, but just as I was sitting there I think, that's right, let me throw that in. Now as we read our passage today, it gives us that this glimpse So. Of uh, what's coming it's also helpful for us to remember um, the big picture of of Isaiah the one of the the themes the way Isaiah is built it's a very complex book but um, in Isaiah chapter 1 I'm not going to review the whole book thoroughly but in Isaiah chapter 1 it starts out where God is thoroughly sick of his religious wicked people they make him want to puke he he they just how they they said why are you trampling my courts you know you just you're not turning away from your evil deeds you just think you can have be god managing me by doing all this religious stuff but in the very same chapter interestingly he turns to the, gives us that glimpse of the last page again because in chapter 1 he says though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow and he em- embellishes that a little bit more. So right in the very first chapter, he sets up a situation. How, and we ask the question, how's he going to do that? Well, you've got to wait 53 chapters to find out how he's going to do it. But in 53, he well and truly tells us how he's going to do it. He does the same in chapter 11, but in a slightly different way. In chapter 11, he writes about a, a promise of a wonderful new ruler. And a new world where there's peace and harmony. And he says the wolf will lie down with the lamb. There's no more pain or fear. Lions and cobras and leopards are absolutely no danger at all. This is a new world. He's turned to the last page of the book again and giving us another glimpse. And no danger even to little infants. They can stick their hand down into a, a viper's nest. No danger. There's a new world coming. There's hope coming. So he gives us these repeated glimpses of the future, and that's what he does in our passage today. Except it's coming now, much more fully at the end, towards the end of Isaiah, just as it comes very fully at the end of Revelation. Now, as we as we're going to read it together in a moment. Uh, Isaiah 60 one thing that we need to um, we're not necessarily very, very good at doing is reading when something is addressed not to us as a people but to address to our town for example it says now hero Mafra what's going to happen and it actually personifies Mafra in this case he called it Zion when he's talking in, in in this chapter he every time you see the word you think the word the place zion jerusalem same place now jesus actually did that one time you remember when uh, he was coming into jerusalem he said oh jerusalem jerusalem how often would i gather your inhabitants as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing but you would not See how he's addressing Jerusalem? But at the same time, what he's doing is also addressing the people. So that's a little thing that's not easy for us to get, but so that when we read chapter 60, you'll see what he's doing is he's personifying uh, Zion. Isaiah personifies Zion, but he's also obviously speaking direct in an indirect way to the people of Zion, to the people of Jerusalem. All right, so as we read it, If you've got your Bibles open, keep an an ear out for what he's emphasising. And as I read, as we read, I'm going to give a few little introductory lines for each little section and a few comments every now and then. So let's read in chapters one, in verse one to four, we have an introduction to Zion's glory, what it's going to look like. Verse one, arise, shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you, Zion. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now you can just picture the city in an early morning as the, the, like a sunrise the Lord's glory radiating down on Jerusalem, on Zion. And he's compared it with the darkening world, which we know quite a lot. Next he goes on to people streaming into the city. Verse 4. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. In 5-7 to we see... Zion responds to such abundance coming and that's coming from every direction all these different place names north south east and west here we go then you Zion will look and be radiant your heart will throb and swell with joy the wealth on the seas will be brought to you to you the riches of the nations will come herds of camels will cover your land young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar and I will adorn my glorious temple. Next two verses, we see that there are precious children coming to Zion. Verse 8. Who are these that fly along like clouds, like doves to their nests? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your children from afar. By the way, Tarshish is the farest That's where uh, Jonah wanted to go to. All right. So they're coming a long way, but what are they bringing? Your children, your precious. You know, your children are precious. So this town isn't just you and the town. It's you and your precious ones. They bring your children from afar with their silver and gold to the honor of the Lord your God the holy one of Israel for he has endowed you with splendor once again Zion's endowed with splendor in uh, verse the next six seven verses Zion's sad past is remembered remembered but it's contrasted with the glorious future verse 10 foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you Though in anger I struck you, in favour I will show you compassion. Your gates will always be, always stand open. They will never be shut day or night. So the people will bring you the wealth of the nations that kings led in, their kings led in triumphal procession. For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the fir, the cypress together to adorn my sanctuary and I will glorify the place of my feet. The children of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet. And note what he calls them here. And will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. See that it's actually call he's talking to the town, he's talking to the city. Obviously, with overtones to the people. They will call you the city of the Lord, Zion the Holy Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 15. Although you, Zion, have been forsaken and hated, with no one travelling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink milk, the milk of the nations, and and be nursed at royal breasts. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your saviour, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. That's an important verse. 17 to 20. It spells out Zion's superior glory and it specially focuses on security. Verse 17. Instead of bronze, I will bring, I will bring you gold. And silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and iron in place of stones. I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. That's the kind of government I like. But isn't that wonderful? Something to look forward to? Peace and well-being. No longer will violence be heard in your your land. Boy, the news is going to be rather short, isn't it? Now, this, tonight's news... Um, No no more violence No more ruin or destruction Within your borders But you will call your walls Salvation and your gates praise The sun will no more be your light by day Nor the brightness of the moon shine on you For the Lord will be your everlasting light And your God will be your glory Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. And of course, no city is complete without people. So the last two verses, Zion's inhabitants. Verse 21. Then all your people will be righteous. And we have to stop there for just a brief moment. How are they going to be righteous? We've got to go back how many chapters? 53, 53 exactly. We go back to chapter 53. All we like sheep have gone astray, Everyone has turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And later in Psalm 53 he says, "By." His knowledge, this is the righteous, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That's how the righteous people get righteous. It's God in his mercy counting righteousness to us. So back to 21 again. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land for quite a few months. Oh, sorry, forever. That's a lovely word, isn't it? They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands. How does it feel, by the way, to know that you and I are the work of His hands? Isn't that a lovely thought? He's working on us. You know the song, "He's still working on me." Um, he's at work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He's working on us to make us worthy of the, uh, the kingdom that he's bringing, going to bring us into. So, they are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. Last verse, the least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord, in its time, I will do this swiftly. So, we've had a look... At the last page again. That's what he's just given us. But let's just—what I'm going to do is just go through and ask well, what does he emphasise in these? In this passage, four things. The first and the last are to do with God, and the two middle ones are to do with the city. The first one: God's role in establishing the city. I went through and I looked and counted the number of verses that had, and that was 12 verses, all related to what God was going to do. I, can, I won't tell you the numbers, I'll be that. But it's God actually doing it. God's role, he himself is the light and glory rising in, on Zion in the first two verses, the sunshine that never sets later on. He is the one who is adorning the temple He is the one endowing it with splendour, making Zion the everlasting pride and joy of the nations. He is the one who is glorifying his footstool. He is the one who will bring gold and silver, bronze and iron, replacing the poorer materials. He is the one making peace and well-being the rule. He is the one who both punished and had compassion on his people. And his people are his planting and the work of his hands. And at the right time, He will act quickly. It's all God's activity. His role. He is preparing the city for us and us for the city. Second theme is the glory and material abundance and wealth of the city. That's pretty strong, isn't it? The number of time. And one of the things I noticed is He, when He mentions gold, it actually gets mentioned twice. So if you go through and do a little analysis of it he doesn't say just gold once or peace once it's, you get this picture of it dropping it in various places just to re- reinforce the positive things about the splendour and the glory Zion's glory is emphasised there's abundance and wealth and riches and splendour and flocks and herds and rebuilt walls and gates always open so that the abundance and wealth of the nations can keep coming in not just day in the day but in the night and with Yahweh, the Lord's glory shining over it all. Just a glorious, a beautiful place. A magnificent place to live. I think, well, let's move there. That, that, that's a good spot to An exciting place to live. An extremely prosperous place. A beautiful place. Third theme he mentions. And that is the joy and security of the city. The very city itself throbs and swells with joy. You imagine a place going like that, you just move in and you just feel it in the air, you know. It's the everlasting uh, it is the everlasting pride and joy of all the peoples. The delight and the the delight of the presence of precious children are there. It's not just things, it's people. There are no enemies, they're gone forever. So it's secure. The previous oppressors are humbly bowing. And it's secure so the gates are open. And there's no fear of punishment there. Just the joy of the Lord's compassion. And joyous praise to the Lord as a result, joy in a city governed by peace and well-being no more sorrow and the lord the lord's people possessing the land forever so it's that's that's strong a theme of joy and security lovely place to be last one is zion's purpose now its purpose actually comes out at the end because a place that God's put all this effort into is ultimately it is for this display of the Lord's splendor. I want you to get this—to display the Lord's splendor. And let's just consider back while we're right here, right now. Why has God put so much effort into the creation we see now? You look at the heavens we are in just the right place in the universe to be able to observe the heavens and it's huge and magnificent and awe-inspiring and we look at the plants every conceivable we've been travelling overseas and every conceivable plant um, you can imagine exists it's one of the things about the doctrine of plenitude everything that can live that's possible to live does isn't that amazing? right down to the bacteria and viruses, they everything, every shape and God, Why does God do that? Because he can. That's the abundance of what he's like. He's showing us from his creation just how he's he's not limited. He loves variety. By the way, as we were traveling, I've uh, noticed a particular weed. I'm a gardener and, uh, at my place, I know which spots to go looking for it. You know, to to dive on it because I don't want it. You know, it might create a beachhead into one of my garden beds and then move through. So I've got that. Well, uh, we go to go to Nepal, didn't see it there. Go to England, see it everywhere. Come back to Singapore, don't see it until we're going into the. Um, they had this um, this flower display. And they have to have a cool area for orchids. It is, and there's the cool room for the orchids. And I'm walking along, and there's my weed. Here, even God doesn't mind variety, does He? But it's the create. What my point, I'm trying, when I want to get back to though is, God doesn't hold back in the way He displays His splendor in creation, does He? And He doesn't hold back in the way He displays His mercy either, as we've seen as we know in the cross. That's what the cross is about, ultimately, is we see what God is really like. And so also is the heaven the the, the joy of, of the uh, of Zion, the new uh, the heavens we're going to go to, is um it's it's a display of how wonderful God is. It is for the display of the Lord's splendour. Verse twenty one. And it's there also so that his people know him more completely. They get to know God better. Verse 16 says, Then you'll know that I, the Lord, am your Saviour, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. For his people who are now declared righteous, they can respond very easily to what a wonderful God he is. They're going to be with him and enjoy praising and enjoying him forever. And verse 19 and 20 says your God will be your glory and your everlasting light. So yes, it's a lovely place to be and even as we travelled it was lovely to see all these different things but you know what was important most? People. Relationships. You You can only see so much stuff and eat so much stuff and in England, we um, were eating carrot cake. Well, I was. Um, I thought, well, that's a safe option for me. And my daughter was counting: nine times I had carrot cake, eight times a carrot. Harry, this other slice thing. But you can only have so much stuff, can't you? Ultimately, it's the people you relate to, and God Himself is going to be our glory in heaven, in the the new city that God is promising us, and it's forever. The Lord, the, your God, will be your glory and your everlasting light. This purpose is forever. In Psalm 16, David finishes Psalm 16 with this one of, one of my favourite verses. It says, "In your presence there is fullness of joy." Isn't that a lovely picture. In your presence there is fullness of joy. But wait for it. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The pleasures themselves are a reflection of God Himself. We'll enjoy the, Him in the pleasures, but that's God. Does, it's in His presence there is fullness of joy at His right hand, are pleasures for more, and more. We have a glorious hope, and a hope that's important for us to focus on, and that takes discipline, because it's very easy for us to focus on negatives, isn't it? You know, if I if I just spent two hours a day reading the news, what will that do to me? Won't help me that much. Okay, I might be up with the latest moves by, by whoever, in whatever. Not to say I'm not interested anyway. I do a bit, but if that's where my head is, then I'm actually breaking a command that the Lord gave us in uh, Paul gave us in um, Colossians. He said in Colossians three: Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. For our spiritual health, we mustn't let this the the, the anxieties of this world squeeze us into a mold. And Jesus said same to His disciples in John fourteen, he said, "Let not your hearts be troubled." And He just told Peter, "You're going to deny Me three times." By the way, that's the end of chapter thirteen. Chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not, so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. He's at work. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And do what? Take you to myself. Not take you to heaven, take you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. It's a relationship. One we glory in. It's it's a person. Where I am, you may be also. Our glorious hope. Now, we all know um, Revelation finishes like this, and I'm going to finish with it as well. I'm reading from uh, chapter 21. Chapter 21 verse 22 it's some of it's actually in the front of your bulletin but i'm going to read i did not see a city a temple in the city because the lord almighty and the lamb are its temple the city does not need the sun or moon to shine in it Boy, this sounds familiar doesn't it we just read in Isaiah 60 for the glory of god gives it light and the lamp the lamb is its lamp Don't we have a, a wonderful hope that we to focus on? And what I really like in, in Romans, um, I'm going to finish with this because this is a prayer in Romans fifteen thirteen that um, Paul finished with. I'll read it to you first. Um, Paul says to his readers, "May the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope." It's not even depending on you. It's the Holy Spirit helping you and me, so that in this sad world we have we've got joy and we've got hope. We can look forward to, and that and God wants us to have that. That's why we can rejoice in the Lord always. As it, in one Thessalonians five sixteen, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. We have got a hope. So let me pray that for us. Let's pray our Heavenly Father we pray along with Paul that you the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of your Holy Spirit we would abound in hope Father we pray in Jesus name Amen